Open your Bibles tonight to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22. Well, this morning, the message was a very basic message and evangelistic, one of those messages that you hope will sink deep within the heart of someone that's unsaved. And uh, we, need, we need to do that. We never get to the place in our ministry to where it's okay to stop preaching the gospel. Never. But tonight is, uh, is a bit different. And normally on Sunday night, you know, we have our, our regular church folks. And I, I have no idea how this happened. But some way or another, I was... Uh, reading this particular verse that I'm about to read, and uh, and I just couldn't get away from it. So we're going to chat just a little bit tonight about this. Verse number 8, chapter 22, verse 8. When thou buildest a new house, then thou shalt make a battlement for thy roof, that thou bring not blood upon thine house, if any man fall from thence. I've never heard a sermon from this verse. I really doubt that you have either. And at first glance, you're probably wondering why are we hearing one now? You know, I mean, I've been preaching over 50 years. I've, I've never preached a sermon from this verse. I've traveled all over this country and been in conferences and so forth and fellowship meetings. And I've never heard anybody preach on this verse and... And so, you know, somebody might be wondering, well, what could be of any importance to us uh, here in, in this verse? Because it has to do with something, you know, that a law that God enacted for His people Israel way back then. And so, what's the point? Well, hopefully by the time we're through that you'll, you'll see that there is a very important principle here. And... Uh, this is one of those times whenever you, you get a subject in your mind and you think, boy, you know, I'd like to take three or four days to really work on this, you know, and uh, and really get all of my thoughts together on it, but uh, I, I don't have the time to do that, so I'm just going to share with you what's on my heart related to this principle that's found here. Remember, uh, many, many years ago, I got a hold of a book called Thompson's uh, Thompson's uh, land, book of the land in the Bible, something to that effect, and it told about the customs uh, uh, over in Israel and that area. And uh, I was a, back then. I was a new Christian. That book was out of print. Preachers were they were looking everywhere, trying to get their hands on a copy. And I happened to come across a copy in a in a little old used bookstore in Springfield, Missouri, and, 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 and it was a treasure to me to go through there. And uh, here's a man that spent years going through that land and becoming acquainted with their customs. Well, I said all of that to say this. They didn't build houses back then like we build houses today. Uh, their houses were built out of, with a flat roof, and, and that space was 
put to, to good use, actually. They would use that as an area uh, to, to, to walk in. And so it might be late in the evening, in the cool of the day. It reminded me of David, perhaps, but they would get up there and walk there. Uh, because of the fresh air, they could meet there and they could meet with others and they could converse there. In some cases, they actually slept up there. Whenever you know, the weather was real hot, like I did when I was a kid, I just took a pillow and a blanket and threw the blanket on the ground, laid my head on the pillow and slept outside under the stars. And so it was common for them to sleep even on the roof. But obviously, there is an issue of safety here, especially if you walk in your sleep. You know, you get up in the middle of the night and start walking in your sleep and one step and you go off the roof. But it might be that, you know, you're not asleep at all. It might be you're just uh, having a time of fellowship with the family up there and the kids are playing or the neighbor's over and they're visiting or whatever it is and someone could fall, they could injure themselves, they could even be killed. So God is insisting here that they take measures to keep people safe. And notice he says that they were required to build a battlement that was to be constructed around the roof. And that speaks about a, a low wall, a fence, a rail, or something of that nature. And uh, so tonight I want to speak to you about a command for carefulness, or maybe you could call it building battlements. Whatever you want to call it doesn't make any difference to me. But I don't want you to leave here without getting the principle, and the principle, of course, has to do with us taking measures to provide and protect for others. I want you to notice the word then. When you build a house, he says, then. That's referring to the time when the house is built, I think. When you build a house, then you build a battlement. The point is, do it then, not later when someone has fallen off. Have you noticed that in our society so many times we never get ahead of the curve? We're always playing catch up. You know, I got this problem and that problem. Now, what are we going to do about it? And, uh, and, uh, we, we never quite come up with the answer. But like the old saying, an ounce of, of, of prevention is worth a pound to cure. And that's right. I learned at an early age that it's a lot easier to shut the gate than it is to round up the cows or horses after they're out. Just shut the gate. Back when I was a boy, it was a common thing. To, you know, we went hunting all of the time, and, and nearly any farmer would, uh, would allow you to hunt if you would go up and, and, you know, be a gentleman about it and ask, you know, could I go rabbit hunting out there on your property? Oh, well, sure. Shut the gate. If, if, you did, if you ever left that gate open one time, you better not ever go back because it created major problems for him. So it's a principle, though, that can be applied to absolutely every area of our life. It can be used in regards to individuals or it can be used in a corporate sense. By that, I mean this principle applies to Christians or it can apply to churches. And I want to start with the latter first. And I'm not going to keep you long tonight, I don't think. But I just want you to think about this, this matter of, 
us taking those measures in our life. When it comes to the church here, this command struck a note with me because of what I've witnessed over the years. You say, well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that over the years, I again and again and again, I've seen churches in a downward spiral that ended in tragedy. You know, most churches, when they start out, in one sense, they'll be at their best and strongest the day they incorporate that they will ever be. Now, it shouldn't be that way, but I'm just telling you the way that it works in real life a lot of times because they start out with a statement of faith. They start out with strict standards, high ideals, strong convictions, and a wagon load of determination. Man, we're starting this church and we've got to get out here and, you know, we've got to knock doors, we've got to do this and we've got to do that and we've got to give generously. We've got to do whatever it takes to make sure that this succeeds. That's the way it starts. But over a period of time, all of a sudden the church begins to slowly fade away and it happens so slowly, just little by little by little, that the compromise goes unnoticed, really. And then years later, it might be the result of, uh, well, it could be the result of a revival meeting. Have an evangelist to come in, as folks say, and preach a series of meetings all week long, and the people get stirred up. And But for whatever reason... All of a sudden, there is within the church a desire to return to the old paths. Let's get back to where we used to be. Let's, let's get back to what we ought to be. Let's get back on track. That's the point. And so whenever they make that attempt to get back where they should be, back where they shouldn't have ever left, all of a sudden now, it's met with resistance. And the church splits. I can take you to areas of the country where on the same road or in the same area, and when I say that I'm talking about within a radius of a mile, there's five and six churches that all started out of church splits and all originated from the same church. You know, this group, the church would split and it'd go over here. Well, in a few years, that church would split, or that one would split again, and it just goes on and on and on. And what happens a lot of times is exactly what I'm talking about. Whenever those folks, you know, some of them within the church saying, look, we've got to get back to good, strong Bible principles. We've got to get back to practicing the Word of God the way that it ought to be. And now when they do that and they lift their voice in protest for things being the way they are, all of a sudden, they're looked upon as some kind of fanatics. They're looked upon as being unloving and unkind. And that's why it's so crucial for a church to do the right thing all of the time, not just part of the time. Do the right thing even when it's not easy. Do the right thing even when it's not popular. Because if we don't, we can reach the point to where we cannot undo what we've done. And a church ruins its testimony, a church loses its effectiveness to minister the Word of God, and, uh, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you have another church split. 
Error and neglect goes on, let's say, let's say 20, 30 years, maybe something like that in a church. Now keep this in mind. During that time, you've brought up a new generation of people and you've had new members come in to the church. You know, they've never been there, but they come from church that maybe wasn't exactly like this church. The other day I was boasting, as it were, and uh, thanking the Lord as I looked out and I saw uh, so many young men and young women here in our church. That I thank God for that. They're not all here tonight, but we do have a, you know, a, good, a good number, and I thank God for that. But it just reminds me that having been here 30 years, that, wow, I can remember when a whole bunch of, <laughs> of these young folks were born, you know, and they've been raised in the church. Whatever the church is, for good or bad, these people have been raised in the church. And the point is, they what they see, what they experience, they take that as the norm. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, or whatever. In other words, to them, that's the way, this is the way that it ought to be. So, brothers... Stone dies and Brother Preston dies. Or, well, we won't go there, but uh, he moves to Timbuktu somewhere. Somebody new comes in and says, you know, I, I, we're going we're gonna to do some things different. And all of a sudden, they have a hard time dealing with that. Are you with me? And, and look, folks, even I, 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 can, I, can, I can sit back and just, you know... <sighs> neglect my responsibilities or, or I can mislead the church. Not intentionally, but do something to mislead the church. And then I can wake up to that fact some years later and say, oh, folks, look, I'm so sorry. I made a decision back then and I, I led you in the wrong direction. We need to get this right. But that generation of people that have come in and those that have been born and raised during that time period, they're, they're not going to they're not going to be so excited about doing that because they like it the way that it is. Now, I'm saying all that for a reason. Because of that factor, churches have to have a battlement, as it were. There has to be certain walls. There has to be certain boundaries or fences, whatever you want to call them, in order to protect not just the church as a whole, but to protect those you know, that, that become a part of it. And, and so there's some basic building blocks that are absolutely essential in any church. I'm talking about things that cannot be compromised, things that absolutely must exist. For example, correct doctrine. I mentioned earlier about Jude, verse 3 of the little letter of Jude, says, "...earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints." And so we've got to make sure we're on track whenever it comes to what the Bible teaches. Because if we're wrong in what we believe, everything else eventually is going to go wrong. And then we have to have consistent convictions, not just preferences. You wouldn't like it. I'm telling you, whatever you think of me now, you'd think less of me if I gave you all of my preferences and I said, I make a recommendation that we, that, you know, that we do this and we do that because that's what I prefer. I don't do that. I don't have the right to do that. 
My preference might be different than your preference, but listen, when it comes to Bible-based convictions, we ought to be on the same page, and we need to be consistent with that instead of changing all of the time. And that's a wall, that is a boundary, that's a safety device for others. They know where we stand, and we're not going to be moved away from that. Then there's the matter of constant prayer. He tells us in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17, praying always. In other words, let me tell you, the moment that we stop praying, we put ourselves in danger. Really, we do. Everything we do is so dependent upon, upon prayer. I, I, I'm just convinced it's a lot of times that God has protected us and we didn't even know it. We, we, we didn't. And he, he protected us because people had been praying, Lord, build a hedge around our church, and Lord, do this, and Lord, do that. Nobody knew anything about their prayers except God, and God honored their prayers and protected the church. And then there needs to be another factor in this in this battlement and that is there has to be careful watchfulness on our part we've got to always be on guard you know i think about nehemiah whenever they were building the wall and i mean here they had a they had a tool an implement to do the work in one hand and a weapon in the other hand they were being threatened and so they had to be watchful at all times and so do we we have a great responsibility, and God holds us accountable. And I don't want you to miss the fact, please don't miss this, that this, this is, has to do with more than self, just our concern about self. This has to do with the consideration of others. He said, when you build a house, then you build a battlement. Why? So somebody won't fall off of it. In other words, he's looking out for other people. Sometimes in churches, especially those that have been established for a long time, we get to thinking about the only important thing about the churches is it relates to us. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we are, we are to meet the spiritual needs of, of others. And, and so these things that I've just mentioned by way of battlements that are erected are for the sake of protecting and providing for other people. There is a, for example, there's a generation of young people here in this community. They're not a part of this church. We don't even know them or whatever. But we have a responsibility toward them. You know, if we had time, and, and, and boy, this just opens up a whole new line of thought, but you study there those ancient laws. Do you know in that day those, those Jewish cities had an obligation to provide safety? And if I remember right, it, it was uh, for a certain distance, even outside the city limits, outside of town, they were responsible for that area. If somebody was mugged out there, if they were robbed or if they were killed out there, God helped the city responsible for not providing protection for the travelers through the area. You know, I think it's kind of that way in the church, don't you? Sometimes we pray, Lord, increase our attendance, fill up this building and what have you. We, listen, whenever, whenever, whenever folks do come, we better understand we have a responsibility to minister unto them. 
to do those things that will provide their spiritual needs. So this principle certainly applies to us in the corporate sense, but don't ever forget this. And that is it applies to us as individual Christians because we cannot have spiritually weak members in a strong church. It doesn't work that way. Every member of the church affects the church as a whole. I've had people say some years ago, a deacon and I visited a certain woman in regards to a matter, and she just let us know right off the bat what me and my family, what we do is our business. It's none of the church's business. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, as I made clear, no, if you're a member of the church, it's the church's business. Because whatever we do as a member has an effect upon the church as a whole. And if the members, if the individual members go the way of the world, what do you do? You end up with a worldly church. Remember what I said at the beginning? Prevention is better than cure. And that's certainly true when it comes to this matter here because it's pretty hard to pretty hard to ever clean up the mess after we've let something go for years and years and years. And so, again, we need to be cautious. And that's the whole idea here, being cautious, providing protection for those that would uh, be at that particular home. And um, as individuals, and we look at this, and I immediately as I read this, and I thought, you know, trying to put myself in the place of a new home builder and looking at this law. I've never been a fan of homeowners associations, but I do understand, I do understand why in some cases, to some extent, they are needed. I, I, I can understand that. But as I read this, that's what I was thinking of. Oh, here's the first homeowners association, you know, but... <laughs> And so the guy builds the house and somebody says to him, Wait a minute, buddy, haven't you read what Moses wrote? When thou buildest a new house, then thou shalt make a battlement. Well, at least three things come to my mind. The first one is we have to avoid air. The battlement is to be safe. And for it to be safe, it has to be built right. with the right material. Whenever when I worked for the State Highway Department of Missouri, we, we had to test all of the materials. If you pour, we had to test everything before. After you poured the concrete, you had to cut out a core of it. You had to test it. You had to make beams and test the tensile strength of it. And you had to put everything to the test to make sure that, you know, that it would do the job. And so if you're going to build something, it has to be the right material And, of course, for us, we have to build our lives on the truth. That battlement has to be built on the truth or we're not safe. But there's another thing that had to be avoided, no doubt, and that human nature being the same in every generation, it would be the matter of excuses. You know, somebody says to him, look, Moses said you've got to build a battlement around the roof of your house. And probably the first thing most of them thought was expense. Man, I don't have the money to do that. I spent every penny I've got, you know, on the house. I don't have any money left over for that. That's just too expensive. 
we planned a vacation already, and I, we've already got the money all allotted for that, you know. And I, I no, 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 I, I'm not going to build a battlement up there. That'd just be a waste of time. Somebody else might make an excuse in another way. They might say, well, you know, I, I, you know, I, the, the, fashion, the matter of fashion, I, I just think it would distract from the beauty of the house, the way that I constructed. I don't want that piece of junk up there on the roof of my house. I was going to maybe put some roses up there or, you know, something like that. Somebody else would say, yeah, but I'm just too busy. Man, I don't have time. I'm exhausted from building this house. I've got other things to do. And so there are a lot of times that we as individuals have to avoid excuses or because if we don't, we're going to let things go and we place others and ourselves in danger. And then there's something to be said for the fact that you have to avoid extremes also. You know, and, and, and as you well know, churches have a tendency to go to extremes either in, in being legalistic or in being too liberal. And it's real easy. All it takes is just a little shove in one direction or another. I've known churches that believe just like we do when it comes to the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, believed exactly what we do. Another pastor come in, you know, maybe he had, I don't know, maybe he had been off to seminary and what have you, and he had his, his spiel all down pat about why they ought to be using the NIV or something else. And first thing you know, they begin, some of the members begin to change. And so all of a sudden there's that, that drift and they go to this extreme, you see. And we have to avoid those things. As to what we need in order to build battlements in our personal life, there are so many things I wouldn't even know where to start. We have to be sound in doctrine. We have to be sincere in our loving, separated in our living, and surrendered to the will of God, steadfast in our service. I wish I had time to stop on some of these. When I say steadfast in our service, you mark it down. If all we're doing, you know, is just attending church and that, you know, that's the extent of it, we're in dangerous territory. I think about David, remember? It was the time whenever the kings went out to war and what David stayed home. David, instead of going out with his men as he had done before, David stayed behind. I don't know all of the details about it, but whatever it was, here he is walking around on the roof and he looks down there and guess what? Well, you know the story. And whenever a person starts getting uninvolved in Christian ministry, it won't be long before they'll be taking a fall in some other area of their life. Now, there's a lot of other things that could be added, but I want to give you the last one and that is absolutely essential, and that is the matter of self-discipline. Because an undisciplined person can be a dangerous person. And here you have a simple, very simple subject that we've talked about tonight but as simple as it is, it is extremely serious because of the fact that lives depend upon it, you see. It's simple, easy to understand, but it's difficult because of the flesh being involved in it. And that's where this matter of discipline comes in. 
And when we think about that, it's so, so many times that we let ourselves get out of control and we don't even know it. You know, we use that term self-discipline, and we understand what we mean, and there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. But we need to understand that actually, if self is in control, we're out of control. Scriptural self-discipline, as we would call it, is temperance. That happens to be last on the list of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentioned. And so, you see, that's where our ability to harness ourselves and to discipline ourselves comes from. In us surrendering ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is tonight here in talking about these things is that when we leave here that we'll leave, that, that it's our prayer, God help us to be of a help to others. Help us to do those things that would provide protection for them and meet their spiritual needs. And I'm talking about as a church, and I'm talking about us as individuals, because every one of us is going to come into contact with people throughout this week, and they're going to need what nobody but a Christian has. They're going to need what you've got. And so we can't just waltz through this world living as we please and doing whatever we want and hope everything works out all right. There's a lot riding on you. Uh, you are more important than you'll ever know in somebody's life. For you kiddos, your your classmates, I mean, they don't know it. They're not conscious of it. But I'm telling you, they are in great need of what you young people have. Many of you will go to work tomorrow and your co-workers, those that you see every day, people that, that, you know, that you love and you care about and you have a relationship with and, and so forth. And uh, boy, you've got exactly what they need. And uh, the only way, the only way that they'll ever be in a position of safety is to be in Christ. And you and I can help them get to that place to where they'll recognize their need and trust Him as their Lord and Savior. I hope, I hope this has made a little bit of sense to you tonight. And it just it was a verse that just gripped my heart. And, uh, and I thought, God help me to build some battlements, some things that would provide protection for the people in my life because that's important to me. Let's all stand. Father, how we thank You tonight, Lord, for Your loving kindness. How we thank You for the great principles of the Word of God. And Lord, I just pray that You'll help us to, to put these into play in our life. Not to just look at them as a subject to be studied. But Lord, help us to apply them to our lives and to do those things. Or should I say, Lord, to allow You to do things in our life that would make us, make us a blessing to others, help us to be a help to those that are helpless without You. So speak to our hearts tonight and use us for Your honor and Your glory throughout this week. And Lord, we pray especially for those that, that heard the Word this morning, those that 
that I know that, that need the message of the gospel that did not respond. May you bring deep conviction to their heart throughout this week and draw them to the cross. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen.